0: Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. This morning, we're going to be uh, taking time to look at how we can become an oasis in a spiritual desert. I have to open my right set of notes, otherwise, you get a different different message there. Uh, It's a real joy for us to be here. As uh, as, uh, Daniel mentioned, this has been a church we've been at for a while now, and you guys have been a great part of our ministry. and we just thank you so much for your partnership and prayers and support. It's been a real joy to be to partner with you you over the years. and we thank you for that. When we first came here, I think our our middle daughter was about one, and she's in college now, so we uh, less than one I think she was I think she was before she was even one so it's been a neat long journey uh with the church here, and we thank you for that right now we are in Portugal, and as I mentioned um the, uh, the book I just published uh, is called Overflowing, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit of that with you this morning. Uh, so if you want the rest of it, you got to get it in the book. But um, I wanted to be able to share some things that God's really just challenged my life with and some things that he's been growing me in this with. And so I want to challenge you with that as well. And we could talking about becoming an oasis in a spiritual desert. I'm going to be pulling up some of the verses. I'm going to go through some of the verses kind of fast, so I'm going to pull them up on the screen, so if you want to jot them down, you can catch them for later. Um, But I didn't want to have you miss it. The first one is 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3.15. Now, in uh, Botswana, there is a, um, the country of Botswana, which is right above South Africa, there's a, a delta, a place called Okavango Delta, and uh, this delta is made up from a river that literally flows out into the middle of the desert, and I think it's the only place like it in the world because this river flows out into the middle of the desert and stops. So it never gets to an ocean, it never gets to a lake. Uh, it just stops right there in the middle of the desert. And every year it floods and turns that desert into an oasis. And animals will come from hundreds of miles to get nourishment and food at this oasis. And spiritually, our life can become like that type of oasis. This is what our life is like when it's filled to overflowing. It's A life of a true follower of Jesus Christ is like an oasis in a desert. We can become like that oasis in the desert because around us, all around us, this world is like a spiritual desert. And we have the life-giving water of Jesus Christ to share to others. All around us, people are dying of thirst, spiritual thirst. They're lost, but they don't realize it. See, this world is like a desert. The soul of so many people are pursuing satisfaction in things that will not satisfy them. They pursue it through sin, and it, sin never delivers what it promises. And in this desert of a world, sin is kind of like a mirage. When you think about a mirage, you see, you see a mirage in the desert, and you think, your eyes are telling you, that there's water there. But there's not, is there? It's a, it's a lie, and sin does that in our lives. It promises us satisfaction. But when we get there, what is it? What is it? It's a mouthful of sand. It doesn't provide any true satisfaction. And as unbelievers pursue sin, they're pursuing a mirage. Now, when we when we see an unbeliever, what happens though? They look like they're pretty happy because their mind is deceived to think that that sin is going to satisfy them. And so we see, so many times, we see people in their pursuit, in the midst of their pursuit. And so they're really excited because they're going after this thing that they think is going to satisfy them. But what happens when they get there? A mouth of sand. And so many times people, when we're encountering unbelievers, they think they're going to, they think they're going to be satisfied in that sin, but it's not it's not going to satisfy them. They're going to get there and they're going to find dissatisfaction. But then they'll be off to the next one and off to the next one and off to the next one. And they spend their whole life going from one mirage to the next mirage. There's no life-giving water in sin. The time that God often breaks in is when they have realized that one one of the things they're pursuing is a mirage. And for us, one of the best times for us to be there to share the hope of Jesus Christ is in those moments when we're around around people and they have realized that their pursuit is a mirage. And that's when we need to be there to share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. Even when people are in the midst of their pursuits, though, even when they haven't realized it's a mirage, God can still break in and help them to see their mirage hunting they're chasing mirages so what we're going to be talking about today though is how we can be that oasis in the desert now for us to become that type of oasis there's a few different things that need to happen in our life the first one is that we must stay connected to god the only way that we have anything to offer anyone else is if christ is flowing in and through us we can't minister from an empty stream The second is that we have to allow him to flow through us and push out sin that remains in our life. We have to allow him to push that out so that he can change us and flow through us. If we're allowing sin to fill our life, he's not going to be flowing through us in the same way. So those are a couple of different things that we go through in the book. I'm not going to touch on those today, but those are so foundational to who we are and what we have to offer others as we minister to them and share the Christ with them. But what we are going to be focusing on today is staying connected to lost people. So even, even if we are staying connected to God, if we're allowing Him to push out the barriers of sin in our life, if we're not connecting to lost people, we're not an oasis. God's life-giving water is the message of the gospel that's meant to be shared with others. I want you to kind of picture in your mind, a, uh, you're, you're near the desert there, and, uh, and you have, backing up to your, uh, up to your door, a, a water relief truck. Now, you can do a couple of different things with it. You can fill your private swimming pool with it, or you can share it with The people that are dying across the street of thirst. Which one are you going to do? So many times we we keep it to ourselves, but the message of the gospel is meant to be shared. That life-giving water is meant to be given to those in need of that water. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, how important are someone's last words to us? or our last words on, 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 on life. They're very important. They want us to remember the th- this and have that stick with us. So they share this valuable, these valuable words to us. And these are the words that Jesus left us with. The command he left us with was to go and make disciples. This doesn't mean that all of us go into overseas missions. But it does mean that every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to go towards lost people, to be sharing the message of the gospel with the lost. If God leads us to stay, we're to be going towards lostness. If he calls us to go, we're to be going towards lostness. And so to please our master, to please God, we have to fulfill his command. To ignore it, to ignore the command to go towards the loss and make disciples is like taking that water truck and filling our private pool with it and keeping it all to ourself. Like the unwise servant who buried his talent, we don't please the master if our if his life-giving water is kept to ourself and not shared with other people. To reach the loss, though, we have to go to them and connect with them. So what does it mean to connect with with the lost? It means to have opportunities to share the gospel with with lost people. And to do that, we need to be building relationships with unbelievers. We need to reach people where they are. In Europe, where we minister and work alongside the missionaries there, the vast majority of people are not going to come to church to hear the gospel. We need to go to them. And more and more so in the States, that's, going to, that's happening as well as here. We need to be going to the lost people. So we should always be looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to share gospel truths in our normal everyday interactions. But even beyond that, we need to be intentionally building relationships with lost people as well. One of our missionaries in Portugal encourages his church to uh, find their tribe, and what he means by that is find what you enjoy, what you enjoy doing, and then go do it with lost people. So, by doing that, they they see our joy in Christ. They see our life lived out. They see the message of the go- they hear the message of the gospel, and they see it lived out in our lives, in our conversations. Others will have the opportunity to listen to our words and see it lived out in our life. They see the overflow of joy in God. And when you think about joy, when people look at your life, what do they see in your life? Do they see joy in Christ? You see, joy is a response to something that we value or see. It's impossible to pursue joy. In itself, you have to pursue joy in something. And we are called to pursue our joy in God. In Psalm 37.4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Joy in God is actually a command. That's a good command, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. So God tells us, commands us to delight ourself in him. Why? Because he is the most satisfying treasure in the entire universe. He alone is going to satisfy our hearts. In Psalm 34 says, says, oh, "O taste and see that the Lord is good." So why does God want us to find joy in him? Remember that God's ultimate goal is to glorify himself. Isaiah 48, says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. So God's ultimate aim in everything he does is to glorify himself and to honor himself. How does that connect with our joy? Well, if you think of it a little illustration. If a king were to send out a servant... And the servant goes and does dutifully, out of duty, all the things that they should do. But then does not enjoy that, does not delight in that. And is just kind of morose and begrudgingly doing it like, oh, I got to do this. How would that glorify the king? How would that make that king look? It would make him look like a terrible taskmaster. No one would want to serve that kind of king. But... The servant that goes and joyfully does what they're called to do and just even delights in the king as a person, that glorifies, it honors, it makes the king look glorious, it makes them see, be seen for who they are. And the same thing is true in our life. If we're just dutifully going through the motions, doing what, God, going what we're supposed to be doing, but find no joy in God, it makes God look really small. It makes him look not very satisfying. So why would an unbeliever come to us to hear about the hope that is in us if our life is not filled with joy, if we're not finding joy in the King? We glorify God best by delighting in Him. God's more glorified when we delight in who He is because it results in us joyfully displaying His glory. See this a couple times in Psalms. Psalm 32, 11 says, says, I want you to notice two different parts here. I'm going to go through two verses, but the first part says, uh, it says Be glad in, re- in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So the, notice the two parts there. And then the second verse May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, so there's the rejoicing, and may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. So you have two parts. One is the rejoicing, and the second part is joyfully displaying it, putting it on display for other people to hear and see. We talk about the things we love. We talk about the things we love. If you like cars, you probably talk about cars. If you like computers, you probably talk about computers. If you like sports, you probably talk about sports. We talk about the things that we love. And in Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. As we find joy in God, what happens when you fill something up? Fullness of something causes it to overflow and to spill over. And when we find fullness of joy in God, we talk about it. We talk about him because it's what our heart delights in and it finds joy in that and in speaking about it, talking about it to others. Unbelievers are desperately seeking satisfaction and joy, and they're seeking it anywhere they can find it, but they're and they're seeking that joy, but they're not going to come to us to listen to what we have to say. Unless our life is joyfully displaying the glory of God. Unless our life is delighting in God himself. They need to see a difference. Otherwise, there's nothing for them to ask about. What's in our heart will come out. First Peter, we read earlier, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason For the hope that is in you. So they need to see the hope that's in us. If they're not seeing a hope, they're not going to ask a reason for the hope that's in us because they're not seeing it. They need to see that hope. And what comes out is an overflow of our hope. In Luke 6, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in our heart will flow out through our life and our words. And our joy in God will flow through our life of love and sharing the message of the gospel. So what is our greatest joy? What's our greatest joy? Is our greatest joy, day by day, knowing Christ? David wrote in Psalms, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what he wants. So our first challenge, or my first challenge to you is to seek after God. He alone is going to satisfy your soul. We need to pursue after him, seek after him. In Psalm 63, it says this. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Now I want to pause right there. Some of the translations say early I seek you. And what's really cool about that word uh, in the Hebrew, that earnestly or early, it it means something that's so valuable that you're going to get up early to do it. That's so important to you. as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So even there you kind of see that picture of that satisfaction in a dry and weary land, like finding an oasis in the middle of the desert. That is what finding Christ is like spiritually to our life. If our joy in God is small, seek after Him. Spend time with him, and he will satisfy your soul. To enjoy him, you have to spend time with him. It doesn't just happen uh, like, you know, put your hand in the Bible and via osmosis we suddenly have a great relationship with him. As in any relationship, it takes time. Spending time in the presence of God. If you wanted to uh, delight in the Grand Canyon, what do you do? You need to go and actually be in its presence. You, you can't just... Uh, Think about it. You need to go and delight, be in its presence. And the same thing is true of God. We spiritually go into his presence to spend time with him and delight in him. And that is what fills our heart with joy. But joy in God, in our, in our hearts, not enough. That joy has to be shared with others. In 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 9.16, it says, For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. As servants of God, we are to be messengers. God's entrusted us as his servants with a message to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this message isn't just for pastors or missionaries. It's for all Christians. We're all called to be messengers. Messengers. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's no like get out of jail free card, or there's no one that's exempt from being a messenger. In 1 Corinthians, it says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. And it's so cool to be called God's fellow workers, that God allows us, his children, to be part of his plan of bringing salvation to the world. As servants, we're to be bold and unashamed of the gospel. We're to plant seeds like God's fellow workers. Who we are is more important than what we do, but what we do is also important. It's more than important, it's essential. It's, it's an essential part of what God has called us to do. Who we are in, in obeying Him is the first step. And the reason that who we are is more important because if our life contradicts our message, then it destroys the message. For others to take the message seriously... Our life has to validate it. The messenger's life validates the message, but the message still has to be proclaimed. It has to be shared. So if our life is going to be an oasis, it needs to bring God's life-giving waters to others by sharing the message. His words are the water of life. So just a couple of different reasons why sharing the message matters but it matters to please God, or it's necessary to please God. It's, it's possible for us to serve God in a way that doesn't please God. Part of pleasing God is being that faithful messenger. It's speaking the words that he's given us to speak. In First Thessalonians, Paul writes, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So who do we seek to please in our words? Are we seeking to please man, or are we seeking to please God? Sometimes by not using our words, we're seeking to please man. By keeping our mouth shut, right? It's a lot easier just to not say anything. But as Paul says... So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So God knows our hearts. God knows my heart. God knows your hearts. And it's a lot easier to not say anything or to say something that's more acceptable than to share what God's called us to share, to share the message of hope, to share his word, to share a thought from that God's challenged us with. Who do we seek to please? One of the best ways that shows who we're trying to please is what we talk about or don't talk about. If we're trying to please people instead of God, we'll be less bold in sharing the message of the gospel. The task of the servant is to speak. The messenger is to deliver the message. So when we don't speak, we also give up reward. And this is a second reason why being a a witness is so important. Our reward is based on how we fulfill the stewardship. Delivering the message is our task, and if we long for that well done, being a faithful messenger is part of that. Every conversation is an opportunity for us to be planting gospel seeds. God may choose to cause those to grow. Our role is to plant gospel seeds. In Matthew 25, says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So we may not be Billy Graham, but God will reward us according to the labor that he sets before us. We're to be responsible with the relationships and the people around us. Are we being faithful with what God has put before us? So just a couple different ways that you can be planting gospel seeds. We may not always be able to jump right to a full gospel presentation, right? Sometimes I used to kind of feel that that was a failure. Like if I didn't get to like the full gospel presentation and share the whole thing with someone. But God, they may not be quite ready for that yet, right? They may be still struggling with, does God even exist? So if I'm jumping way, way up here, maybe it would be better for just to spend a bit of time unpacking who, who is God. Do you believe in the existence of God? Taking time where they're at to be planting those gospel seeds. And it often takes multiple pl- seeds that are planted for God, as God causes them to grow. So, a few different ways to be helping you start some gospel presentation or gospel conversations instead of a gospel presentation. Where do you start? One way is to mention, find ways to mention God, prayer, and the Bible in your conversations. Just as part of what you talk about, right? We talked about earlier how what's in your heart comes out. What you love, you talk about. Find ways to talk about, include God. Prayer and the Bible, in your conversations, just as a natural way of talking about it. Say, oh man, I was praying about this the other day, and God really encouraged me with this. And you can just share those things. It's part of of your life you're sharing with other people. It doesn't have to be awkward or preachy, it's just sharing your life. And just make that a part of your life, of what you share. If it's part of your heart, part of your life, just talk about it. Another way is to use the phrase, you know, what you what you just said reminds me of a place in the Bible where it says blank. And you just share that truth. You share a verse. It's the sword of the Spirit. God's Word can be penetrating their life as you share His Word. Now you have to have it kind of somewhat memorized, at least remotely close to the verse to be able to share that. But that's a good reminder to be able to do that. Another way is to say, you know what? I take, time, I take time to pray every day, pray to God every day. Do you have any prayer requests that, uh, that I could pray for? Uh, listening to people and, and genuinely listen to what they have to share. Listening to people is one of the best ways that we can show the love of God to people. In a very, very busy culture, stopping to listen to, to their needs and then taking time to pray for it. Maybe it's right then, maybe it's later that shows care and concern and love to them that most people don't even give them the time of day for. And as God answers those prayers, people begin to reevaluate their belief in God. So trust God to be able to answer those prayers as you pray for them to genuinely do that. Set a reminder to do that. And then check back with them. Say, hey, I've been praying for this. How are you doing on that? And so it gives you an opportunity then to have follow-up conversations. I have uh, people in Portugal that I'm that I'll check back up with every now and then, even while we're gone. Just It's a convers- way to get back into a new, another conversation with them, to follow up on that prayer. Hey, I've been praying for you. How you doing? And it continues that relationship. Another way is to use questions. Uh, you can say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm curious. You know, what does your tradition say about Jesus? Or I'm a Christian. I'm, wor- I'm wondering this. Do you have any questions for me about Jesus? And if you, um, I see some of you writing some of these down. If you miss some of these, it's on a blog. I have a blog post that has all these, uh, these last uh, starting gospel conversations. So if you miss it, grab our prayer card, go to our website, and the, one of the blog posts called Starting Gospel Conversations, so you can uh, follow up on that. And there's some other book references there that uh, you can get some more reading on this. It's really helpful. Another one is, uh, is this Many people, a lot of people consider themselves on a spiritual journey. How about you? Where do you see yourself on that journey? I used this one a few weeks ago on, a, on an airplane, and the guy's were like, Well, I used to, but not anymore. And so I was kind of like stumped. But then afterwards, I thought, I thought of a question of So, what changed? Why, why are you not on that journey now? So, next time, if I come across someone, I'll use that and, sh- and ask that. But it just it gets them into the conversation and, and challenges them to think about where they're at and gives, them, gives you an opportunity to listen to where they're at. Instead of just monologuing, you want to be in a dialogue. All these things can open doors for gospel conversations, and God's well done goes to those who multiply their stewardship of the gospel by spreading it to others. They don't bury the gospel. They don't turn it into their own private swimming pool. Do we desire, to be, do we desire God to be glorified in our life? Then we have to be speaking the message. We need to let God overflow from our, from our lives in joy and love and our words. We can't keep it to ourselves. It has to be shared with others. The message must overflow from us. It can't just, it's not something that we just muster up in our own strength. It has to overflow from our hearts. And as God's words flow into us, they flow out of us. What's in our heart will overflow. As it says in Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now God sends us out into the desert where we're surrounded by lost people who will die in their lostness unless they hear the message of the gospel, unless they receive the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. And they have to trust in Jesus for salvation. It says in Acts 4:12 there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In John fourteen six, it says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other door to get to God. We the only door is through Jesus Christ." It's an amazing example of this. Um, if you remember back in the Old Testament. Um, when the Israelites, one, one of the times the Israelites had sinned and they were rebelling and God sent the snakes, the, the serpents to come and they were, if they were bit by the snake, they would die. And they cried out to Moses to save them. And God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And if you ever see it in the back of an ambulance, that's, that's the symbol. That's where that came from. So, And and God told them if they look at that serpent, that they would be saved. They had to look to that serpent in faith. Now, that serpent wasn't going to save them. But what saved them was their faith in God. If they truly believed in God, they would look to to that snake. They would look to that serpent, and they would be saved. And so that looking was an evidence of faith. They were saved by faith. And then when you get to the book of John... In the New Testament, where it it says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And so Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And so just like those people in the the Old Testament had to look in faith, in their faith in God that was evidenced by their looking to that serpent, they would be saved. In the same way, all who look to Christ in faith that, I am a dead man apart from the salvation of God. They look to Christ for salvation. That's what it means to have faith. We look to Him in faith that He alone will save us. They weren't doing anything else, they were only looking to that serpent. We look only to Christ to save us and trust that He alone is going to save us. And that's what it means when it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the only way of salvation, to trust in Him and his death on the cross in our place for our sins for all eternity, to trust in him alone for salvation. But to believe this, others have to hear the message. They have to hear the message of the gospel. In Romans 10, it says this, "...for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching?" And how do they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Servants who are pleasing and useful to God both model the message and share the message. Our well done is contingent on how faithfully we're sharing the message. How are we sharing the message of Christ? And our prayer today is that you that each of us, myself included, that we would be continually overflowing so that the life-giving water of Christ will overflow from us to a lost and dying world. Without the message, there's no oasis. Without the message, there's no oasis. But with it, our life can overflow to a world in need. Our life can be that oasis that people need to find salvation, to find hope. And I pray that that will be the case for all of us, no matter where he takes us in the world, that we would be overflowing for him and become that oasis. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life that you've given to us. We thank you for the fact that we have our salvation in you. Because there is salvation in no other name except Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would find tremendous joy in knowing you as our Savior and just delighting in you for who you are. Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy and I just pray that each one of us would be taking the time to be with you, to be finding our joy in your person so that our heart will be filled with joy and delight and as we're around the lost that that will spill out That will overflow from us so that they will see that you indeed are the great and awesome treasure. That that you alone will satisfy their soul. And I pray that that will be our life. That we would be that oasis that you call us to be, Lord. And we pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.